My name is Kevin. I'm the pastor here at Grace Fellowship. It's good to see you. Glad that you are with us. We've been working our way through uh, Matthew's gospel. Uh, and so just real quick, the reason why we do this, kind of give you a, a rationale behind uh, why we choose the, the books of the Bible or the sermons that we do. I try to go Old Testament and New Testament going back and forth. But in between those, I also like to come back to a gospel. And there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, and it's always good that we come back and we look at the, the life of Jesus. Uh, and the reason that we do that is because it reminds us that uh, God did not send us a system. He sent us a person. Uh, and it is good for us as a church. Our, our faith is rooted not in a system, but in a person. And so it's good for us that we uh, come and we look at not just the words of Jesus, and every part of the Bible points to Jesus, but we also want to study his life. It's my belief that the more we look at Jesus, the more intently we look at Jesus, the more our hearts are captured by him, and the more we will be transformed into his image. So that's why we do what we do. Uh, we'll be in Matthew 8, verses 1 through 17 today. If you don't have a, a copy of God's Word, you can use one of the, the pew Bibles that's there in the, the row in front of you. Uh, you'll find today's passage on page 813. And as you're turning there, just a couple of quick announcements. One, uh, we are glad to have uh, Colton McKinnon with us today in worship. Uh, his parents have asked, though, that you love him at a distance. Uh, they're trying to keep him good and healthy so that he can uh, uh, be well enough to do chemo. Uh, and so uh, just wave. Um, also, coming up very soon, we have uh, a parenting conference and our fall festival. Both of those dates uh, should be in the bulletin. Um, we're excited for both of those. Very soon, I hope we'll be giving you a way to ask questions to the uh the, the, the parenting conference will basically be a roundtable uh, that you can come and ask questions to a couple of veteran parents. Uh, if you already have questions in mind that you would like to ask, you can get those to Zach, uh, the questions that you want them to be thinking about to answer. And then our fall festival uh, is Wednesday, October the 25th, if I'm remember, remembering that correctly. Um, we will have, that'll be a potluck, and so we uh, encourage you to bring food kind of like you would for a soup sundae. We'll have uh, inflatable, uh, we'll have costume contests for kids and youth and adults, so nothing scary or violent, okay? Uh, and then also there will be a chili cook-off, uh, and we'll give prizes for, for all of those things. So um, go ahead and mark your, mark your calendars for, for both of those events. All right, well, let's... Give our attention now to God's word in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. When he, that is Jesus, came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, now Matthew really likes that word behold. Uh, it's, it's a way to grab your attention. It's like a shout or a loud clap. If, if this were a comic book, it would be in like stars and red letters, right? Behold, he wants your attention focused. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. 
And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you've believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law, Peter's mother-in-law, lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that your word would come with power, that you would bless the reading and the preaching and the hearing of your word, Lord, that we would see you more clearly, that we would trust you, and that we would walk with you. Lord, would you transform us? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, just to give you a little bit of context, if you haven't been with us, Jesus has just finished kind of a long sermon. We've called it the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, but it's this long section of teaching in which Jesus describes or talks about what life in the kingdom looks like, what, uh, what, the, what the life of a disciple looks like. And uh, Zach wrapped that up for us last week. And what we saw is that as Jesus concluded his teaching, the people were amazed. Right? If you go back and look at 7, 28, and 29, right when Jesus finishes, the people are amazed. And why are they amazed? They're amazed by his authority. What does that word mean? Right, you, hear it, uh, you hear in it the word author. It, it means power. It means rule. And so it, when the people hear Jesus speaking, they hear him as one who has authority, not as one of their scribes. Their scribes, uh, would, they, were, they were borrowed authority. In fact, every teacher does that. I have borrowed authority. I am not the authority, right? This scripture is the authority, and I simply preach from it. And that was the truth with their scribes as well, right? Every teacher you've had probably referred to some other authority. But Jesus is the authority, and it's obvious when he speaks to them. 
And so what Matthew records next, the section that we've just read, and actually what will happen over the next two chapters, is no accident. Jesus has demonstrated his authority with words, and now Jesus will demonstrate his authority with deeds. He has spoken with authority, and now he will demonstrate his power uh, in miracles with what he does. We've seen the king as teacher. Now we see the king as healer. And if you'll permit me to nerd out for just a little bit, uh, in J.R.R. Tolkien's book, The Return of the King, it's the third book in the trilogy of the the Lord of the Rings, uh, there is a great battle. Uh, And in that battle, right, the, the true king, Aragorn, has been in exile for years. No one knows who he is. They don't know that he's the rightful king, but he reveals himself in that battle. He arrives just in time with reinforcements, uh, and they are able to conquer the armies of the enemy. But as every person knows, as every soldier knows, you cannot have a great battle, even one you win, without great casualties. Uh, And during the battle, many of our heroes have fallen And they're not just wounded physically, they are wounded spiritually. They have come under the power of the enemy called the black shadow. And so they are unconscious and they are slowly slipping away into death. And there is nothing that the healers can do to help them. And so as the battle ends and night comes on, Aragorn, the true king, enters the city. Not with a crown, not on a horse, not with trumpets. He comes quietly. And no one knows yet that he is the true king. He is unrevealed to them. Uh, But he goes to the houses of healing, and he mixes up medicine, and then he lays his hands on the people who are suffering under the black shadow. And as he labors over them, those who are lost in shadow are drawn back out into the light. And one of the nurses who is watching this remembers an old legend. And it goes like this. The hands of the king are the hands of a healer. And so shall the rightful king be known. That's what Matthew's doing here. That's what's happening in this passage. We see that the hands of the king are the hands of a healer. And that's how Jesus, the rightful king, is made known. You see, miracles in the Bible are a proof of divine authority. That's what's happening. Jesus' miracles prove who he is. Jesus has come to repel the shadow. He has come to undo the curse that our first parents began when they rebelled from the king. That's why we sang Joy to the World. That's not a Christmas song. That's a kingship song. That's about Jesus's, that's about the return of the king. And what happens when the king returns? He makes his blessing flow. How far? As far as the curse is found. If you hear nothing else today, that's what this passage is about. It is about the king making his blessing flow far as the curse is found. 
That doesn't mean that every illness is the result of personal sin. But it does mean that misery and illness are a part of life in the fallen world. And when Jesus comes to deal with our sin, he also comes to deal with that. He comes to reverse the curse. Jesus proves he's the true king by healing the sick and afflicted. Three words I want to look at. You may wonder why sermons always have like three points. My, one of my professors would say it's for helpful on-ramps, right? You and I are going to find plenty of off-ramps, right? A sneeze, a child talking, that your, tummy, your tummy rumbling, right? You're going to get off the interstate. So points just help you get back on the interstate. So three words we're going to look at today, faith, power, and compassion. You see all three of them in this passage, um, faith, power, and compassion. Let's talk about faith. What is faith? It's another word for trust. If I have faith in you to get a job done, I'm trusting you to do it. And both the leper and the centurion show us what true faith looks like. First, it's humble. Now look at how the leper approaches Jesus. He comes before him and he kneels before him. He humbles himself. He lowers himself before Jesus. And, and what does he say? He says, if you will. If you want to. See, there's, he has no doubt that Jesus can. He's asking Jesus if he will, if he wants to. There's no presumption in that. Right? Uh, there's, no, there's no pride. There's no arrogance in what this man is asking. That's why he says what he says, right? Now, his life has been incredibly difficult. Uh, he has an incurable disease that has disfigured his body. Everybody would look at him and be disgusted. And he would have been truly disgusting to look at. He probably was missing digits. Uh, worst cases, you even lose part facial features. So not only is this man sick, but he's also a social outcast. No one can be around him. No one wants to be around him. But he does not come to Jesus saying, I deserve better. Fix me. He doesn't come with any entitlement. He just simply says, if you want to, you can. He throws himself on the mercy of Jesus. That's what faith does. It's humble. What about the centurion? He's as much an outcast as the leper because he's a Gentile. He's not a Jew. But he, he's, a lot, he's got a lot more going for him. He's at least somewhat socially acceptable. He would have been equivalent to our captain in the military. That doesn't mean as much to me as it does to some of you. What it does mean is that he has some authority. He's not all the way up the food chain, but he's a good ways up. He's a man of means and authority. He's used to command. He sends people moving all the time. But here we have a centurion humbling himself, a man of authority, humbling himself before a Jewish teacher who has no visible authority whatsoever. The centurion comes to him, pleading with him to heal his servant. In fact, Jesus is amazed by this man's faith. 
He's amazed by the fact that, that this centurion sees more in Jesus than anybody else around him. He's amazed, right? This, this Gentile, this outsider, has a faith that Jesus' fellow Jews don't have. Jesus says, with no one in Israel have I found faith like this. The centurion sees in Jesus what they should see, but don't. In fact, they're the presumptuous ones, the crowd following him. And what Jesus tells us is that their presumption will be eternally lethal. Jesus says that this man, this centurion, and many like him will come from east and west. And they will be welcomed into the kingdom banquet. They will sit at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, these great fathers of the faith. They will enjoy the, the, the banquet of the Messiah that is the celebration for all of eternity. They will be welcomed in. But many of the sons of the kingdom, those who think they have a spot at the table because of their ethnicity, they will find themselves thrown out. They will be thrown out. They will be excluded. They will be thrown out into outer darkness where there will be great wailing and grief. It's a, it's a strong warning. What's the difference? What brings one to the table or gets one excluded from the table? It's that these men, the centurion, the leper, they know their need. They know their need. They know that it is great. And they know that Jesus is the only one who can meet it. And so they come to him with open hands. No expectations. No demands. Just the open hands of faith. Which brings us to a second quality of their faith. Not only is it humble, but it's also bold. Now those two things may not seem to really jive in your mind. But here's what I mean by that. Right? Boldness is not swagger. Boldness is not arrogance. Swagger is what we do to cover up our insecurity. It's a protective measure. But these men are bold enough to bring their need out into the open. They're courageous enough to admit that they need help. I mean, think particularly of the leper. Law demanded that he not be near anyone. He was contagious. He had to announce his presence by shouting, unclean, unclean. It's a bold move for this man to come before Jesus while a crowd is nearby. But he makes that bold move because he knows he has nowhere else to turn. Friend, you and I need to see and we need to be the leper. We need to see that we are the leper. We are the one in need of help, right? We, we may not be missing fingers or toes or noses, but our sickness runs deep all the way to the heart. And the only way to heal from it is to be bold enough to humble yourself before Jesus. And what will happen when we do two other things that Jesus does, power and compassion. First, Jesus' power. I want you to notice that all three of the healings in this passage happen immediately. 
Look at verse 3. When Jesus says, I will be clean, the leper is clean that moment. It's done. The centurion, his faith is so great, he knows that Jesus doesn't even have to be present to heal. He says, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. Just say the word. You have that much authority, Jesus. Just say the word. And what happens in verse 13? He's healed the very moment that Jesus speaks. Look at verses 14 and 15. Jesus goes into Peter's home. Peter's mother-in-law is lying there sick with a fever. Now, we've had a number of people in our congregation who have been sick and very sick over the past several weeks. And many of you have said how long it has taken to recover. That even after the symptoms have gone away, the fatigue just lingers. You don't even feel like you can get out of the bed. But did you notice that as soon as Jesus grabs the hand of Peter's mother-in-law and heals her, She jumps up and starts serving. It doesn't take her a week. It doesn't take her two weeks to get over it. She hops right up. She is immediately healed. Her energy restored. And her response is probably also a good sign of faith. Jesus Jesus heals. She serves. Right? She begins serving the Lord. And then at evening, when the crowds come, bringing the demon-possessed and the sick, We're going to talk more about demon possession later. But I want you to notice that as Jesus works, there are no magic spells. There are no incantations. There's no rain dances. There's no burning incense. Jesus just speaks. He tells the the spirits where to go, and they go. It's immediate. Jesus speaks, and it happens. But Jesus is more than powerful. He also has compassion. It's evident in all of the healings, but it's most clear in his healing of the leper. Look back at verse 2. The leper says, if you want to, you can make me clean. And what does Jesus say? I want to. Be clean. What do we just sing? Come ye sinners, poor, wretched, weak, wounded, sick, and sore. Jesus, ready, stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. He is able. He is able. He is willing. Doubt no more. Jesus wants to heal. Jesus has compassion. Let's go even further. Let me tell you why. When Jesus says, be clean, why this would be music to this man's ears. You see, he was unclean. By Mosaic law, the law of Moses said that he was unclean. And as I mentioned, because he was unclean, he was a social outcast. As long as you were unclean, you were doomed to an isolated, quarantined life outside of the community. And so Jesus does more than heal this man. When he says, be clean, 
he also brings him back into the community. He brings him back into relationships. Right? Why this man needed to have the priest certify the cleansing, again, according to the law, so he could be readmitted into society. You see, Jesus does more than give this man his health back. He gives him love and life and laughter back. This man is restored to the community because he has been made clean. But there's more. Remember, Jesus could heal at a distance. Jesus can heal with a word. But he doesn't do that here. In fact, Matthew goes out of his way to show us something. Jesus stretches out his hand and touches the leper. That was a violation of the law. Right? To touch someone who is unclean was to become unclean yourself. And so they were not touched. Who, who knows how long it had been since this man had felt physical touch? How long it had been since somebody had patted his shoulder or given him a hug. We all know how powerful that is when someone does it for us. But there's an added dimension here. Like I said, if someone if you touch someone who was unclean, you became unclean yourself. But something different happens with Jesus. When Jesus touches the unclean man, it reverses the curse. Jesus does not become unclean. The leper becomes clean. Jesus has come to undo the curse. Jesus' cleanness spreads to the leper. Why? Well, look at the very last verse. Matthew tells us that as Jesus was doing these things, he was fulfilling Isaiah 53, 4. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. You see, Jesus doesn't merely remove the curse from us. He removes the curse by placing it on himself. By carrying it himself. Isaiah says in the very next verse, Steve read it for us earlier. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. You see, what Jesus came to do was achieve the ultimate healing. The same hand that grips the shoulder of the leper. The same hand that pressed the palm of Peter's mother-in-law. Those are the very hands that would be stretched out on a wooden post and gored through with a railroad spike. Why? Because the hands of the king are the hands of a healer. And so shall the rightful king be known. Do you believe it? Let's pray.